Well, thanks again for being here today. We're gonna be in uh, Philippians chapter one. If you've got your Bible, your Bible app, open up to Philippians, the first chapter. We started a brand new series last week called Joy Matters, and um, I mentioned last week that joy, the word joy or rejoice is used 15 times in this relatively short uh, epistle, short letter in these four chapters. And I, I, I really do believe that joy is something that we need. Most of us would admit we need more joy in our lives. And perhaps your greatest need right now, no matter what your face is, man, I wish I could experience or know, know more joy. You might be going through a divorce. I've talked with a couple people this morning, and that's what they're in. Right now, they're in the midst of it, and it's hard. You might be going through some financial or physical struggle in your life. Or maybe uh, you've lost a loved one recently, and it's, it's a challenge for you. Today, I wanna encourage you. I wanna show you how you can practice and experience joy no matter what you're in the middle of, no matter what you're facing. And as I think back through history, and you know that I love history, I'm, I won't give you a history lesson, but as I think through uh, many people, men and women throughout history, that actually experienced joy even in the midst of great struggle, and they accomplished great things even in the midst of difficulty. Guys like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, Corey Ten Boom, and the list goes on. Of people who in the midst of great hardship and struggle, difficult circumstances, they experienced joy and experienced great things and accomplished amazing things. Now for a second, do I wanna downplay your struggle? Uh, I am not the guy, I'm not the pastor who says, hey, just slap a happy sticker on it, smile, grin and bear it, you'll be fine, suck it up, buttercup, that's not me. I'm never that guy. I understand the sorrow and the struggle that some of you have faced or you are facing right now. And I honestly can say I have empathy for you, I pray for you, I ache for you. And here's the reality, on this side of eternity, on planet Earth, Sorrow and struggle are unavoidable. And that's not a negative, pessimistic thing to say. That's just reality. We all face it. We've all lived it. Sometimes we're in the midst of it. Sometimes we've been through it. But all of us struggle. But I want you to do something today. I want you to see things differently. I want to encourage you to have a different perspective. A man named Dennis, uh, for many years, was a part of East Point, And he recently passed away. And I did not know Dennis very well. But uh, he uh, suffered with ALS for, for a long time. And I don't know how much you know about ALS, but it's, it's a debilitating disease, and it's, it's a real struggle. And again, like I said, not too long ago, he passed away, and he's with Jesus now. But the thing I remember about Dennis, every time, and I kid you not, every time he walked through, and in the last uh, few times I saw him, he was in a wheelchair and, and could barely move. Every time I saw Dennis, there was a smile on his face, and he greeted me with joy. It was amazing to watch this man suffer so much and yet maintain. He just had joy around him. Now, on the other side of the coin, I could tell you lots of stories of other people who have been through struggle, physical, financial, relational struggle, and they didn't experience joy. They didn't experience anything of God's presence. In fact, they became very bitter. And it's not because God wasn't there. It's because they chose to focus on the problem. My wife's grandmother uh, was a very bitter woman. She passed away many years ago, and she lived a hard life. I will grant you this. She lived a very difficult life. Uh, went through divorce back in a day when divorce was not common and people were shunned or shamed when they went through that. She went through it. Her husband was an alcoholic. It was a difficult life. She lived a struggle. I understand that. But sadly, she became very bitter and very mean-spirited because of the struggle she went through. I want to encourage you to not be like that, but instead to see your struggle through a different perspective. So the question I want to raise today, I want to present to you is how. How do you find joy in the midst of great struggle? Well, here's the big idea in your outline. By the way, we have outlines available on the stools by the post. Uh, when you come in, please pick one of those up if you'd like one. But here's the big idea. 
Joy comes from understanding that God can use whatever, and I mean that, whatever is happening, even your imperfect and painful circumstances, to work his perfect will in your life. Now, if you're struggling right now, that's a hard thing to hear. I understand that. But I need you to, to give me about 25 more minutes to listen to how joy can actually be a part of your life. The joy can come from understanding that God can use whatever, and I mean that, whatever is happening, even your imperfect and difficult circumstances, even the things that suck in your life, that he can use those to work his perfect will in and through you. In fact, I wanna suggest to you that today joy can only be found when we have that change of perspective. And that joy is sometimes found in the very places that are most difficult for you. We don't like that truth, we'd rather not go down that path, but the reality is joy is often found in the very places that are most difficult for us. And the very things that were meant to steal our joy, we can find joy there. It's commonly believed that to joy, uh, that you have to have happy circumstances. That tends to be the way our world looks at this topic. Well, I'd have more joy if things were better. I'd have more joy if things were easier. I'd have more joy if I didn't, wasn't married to a jerk or I didn't have such a crazy job or if things were better in my life. We think that to experience joy, we must experience favorable and positive circumstances. I'm here to tell you today that's not so, not for us. Now, there's nothing wrong with being happy. There's certainly nothing wrong with having good circumstances. But I believe that joyful people are often happy. However, happy circumstances are not required for you to be joyful. Let me say that again. Happy circumstances are not required for you to be joyful. Why? Well, because joy, true joy, is not based on everything being okay or the way you want it in your life. Not when we understand it from God's perspective. So let me say it again. Joy comes from understanding that God can use whatever is happening in your life right now, even your imperfect and painful circumstances, to work his will, his way in and through you. Had you turn to Philippians chapter one, let's take a look at verse 12. Philippians one, verse 12. Paul wrote this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, we'll come back to this, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Verse 14. And because of my chains, because of my suffering, because of my struggle, because of this difficulty, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul says, things are hard, but things are good. How can that be possible? Well, let's unpack how to rise above your circumstances. I'm gonna give you a couple things. Here's the first thing in your outline, number one. Look beyond. Look beyond the circumstances to see the bigger picture. You have to look beyond what you're in the midst of. Paul had a purpose that was bigger than his circumstances. Paul had a purpose, and he understood his God-given purpose. And he knew that his mission mattered more than his misery. He knew that God had called him. God had given him a, a, a task, a goal, a purpose to advance the gospel. What does that mean? To, to tell people about Jesus, to advance the kingdom of God, to tell people that there's good news and it's found in Jesus. And he understood that purpose. And because of that purpose, he was able to find joy. You know, I, I believe, I truly do, that God has a purpose for each and every one of you. And I love, you know, John did the announcement this morning and he went through our shape class, our East Point 301 class. That's where we help people discover their shape, what their God-given purpose. And John went through that and, and in his shape discovery session with uh, Pastor Matt, actually, it came out that, you know, he thought about maybe doing announcements and think he'd be good doing that. And it was one of the gifts he thinks he has, public speaking. He said, man, let's, let's pursue this and let's see. 
Lots of you yesterday partnered with us to serve our schools and to, to labor physically for the schools. That was awesome. We just saw a video about Awana. We encourage you to discover your purpose and that may be to work with kids, to work with children, to be a leader and to be involved in our family nights. And again, I encourage you to do that. But I believe this, when you discover your purpose, that's where you discover joy. Paul knew his mission mattered more than his misery. He said in verse 12, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Yeah, he wasn't saying this is easy, he was saying it's hard, I'm in chains. But it's, God's using this to do something good. In verse 14, and because of my chains, because of my suffering, Christians have become confident to share the gospel. Others are emboldened because they've watched what I'm going through. Now, let me remind you something I said last week. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Again, in prison, imprisoned in Rome, chained to a guard 24-7. Literally chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How many of you think that would be fun? Not at all. It was miserable. And this letter, this letter to the church in Philippi, is actually the fourth of what we call prison epistles or prison letters. It's the fourth one. And what matters and what you need to know about that is probably this is about two years in to Paul's imprisonment. For two years, he'd been chained. Not just a couple of weeks. I get frustrated with a couple of days of difficulty. For two years, nearly two years, he's been chained to this guy. Paul lived in misery for a long time, but he looked beyond the chains and the discomfort and the struggle to see that God was using those very circumstances for a good purpose, to advance the cause of Jesus in Rome. Here's what we need to learn. We must learn to live for a purpose that is bigger than our difficult struggles. And it's not something that comes naturally to us. We've gotta learn. We've gotta learn to live for a purpose that is actually bigger than our difficult struggles. It's bigger than us. Seeing the bigger picture is recognizing and understanding that it's not all about us. It's not about you, it's not about me. That we have a God-given mission and purpose and it is to advance the good news, to advance the gospel, to serve God and his purpose on the earth. But often we find ourselves in chains and what we do is we get bitter, we get complain, we, we're miserable and we hate every second. But we, when you and I see and find ourselves chained into a tough place, I think here's a question I would encourage you to ask. How might those circumstances be used by God to advance his work in you and through you? When you find yourself chained to something that really is difficult, hard, you don't like it, ask yourself this question. How might God use this very thing that I really don't want, I really don't like, how can God use this to advance his work in me and through me? Maybe you feel like you've been chained to a lousy job and you're frustrated or chained to a lousy boss and you hate your job. And maybe a thousand times you said, why am I here, God, I hate this job, get me out of here. And I'm not saying you have to be stuck to the rest of your life. What I am saying is maybe a change in perspective, a change in attitude is necessary. You need to see that that chain has a bigger purpose and ask yourself, what can God do through me? What can he do through me here and now? Maybe you feel chained to a difficult marriage. I don't think there's anything harder than to be in a marriage that really is difficult and hard on you. But maybe you need to say, God, what do you wanna do in me? I, I, of course I'd love you to fix my spouse, but God, what do you wanna do in me? How can you develop your life and your joy and your purpose in and through my life? Maybe you deal with a special needs child or you've got a teenager who's gone off, off the rails. Maybe things in your life are not at all the way you expect or the way you want. And I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I bet at least half of you would say, yep, that's me, Pastor Kurt. My life is not what I want right now. 
Listen, can I say this with compassion, but clearly Paul reminds us that God is even bigger than our chains. That he's bigger than the suffering, bigger than the struggle we're in. And that he has a bigger purpose for us. That he's, you're, he's bigger than the chains you're bound to. See, it's what God does best. He loves to take lives that are surrendered to him. He redeems, he restores, and renews them. It's what he does. He takes our brokenness, he takes the stuff that we don't like, and God says, just surrender that to me. Our part is to yield, to surrender. Okay, God, I really hate this. This sucks. I don't wanna be a part of this, but I'm just gonna surrender my life. I'm gonna surrender my, my entire being, everything I'm in. I just, I yield it to you, God. And God says, now let me work in and through you. Did God bring that painful circumstance? I don't believe so. Now, sometimes we're in rebellion and it's discipline, yep. But often, we live in a broken world where there's just broken people and broken things. And on this side of eternity, that's the way it is. But God says, yield that to me and watch what I can do in and through you. Watch what I'll do as you just surrender that to my life. See, God is way more concerned with your character than he is your comfort. I've said that many times. I will say it many times again. And it's not something we like to hear. Nobody goes, yeah, that's awesome, Kurt. Thanks for that. But it's true. God is way more interested in your character than he is your comfort. And he's much more focused on your purpose and how even the pain you're in can be used for his purpose than he is anything else. In the very uh, first chapter of my first book called Epic Grace, the very first chapter I wrote about a, a hero in my life. Her name's Margaret. And she has had such an impact on my life personally that it was not even a question for me when I sat down and began to write that book. Man, I gotta put Margaret in this book and I gotta put her in the very beginning. I gotta, I gotta put Margaret's story here. Margaret, if you've read the book, I'll just, uh, I'll remind you, she had cerebral palsy. And all her life, every moment of Margaret's life was a struggle. Getting up in the morning was a struggle. Getting dressed was a struggle. Brushing her teeth was a struggle. Eating food was a struggle. Every part of her life was a struggle. Most of us can't even relate to what that, you know, I, I, I'm sore right now because I went to Silverwood with my grandkids on Thursday. I have two words, never again. <laughs> I, I just can't go and watch, so I get on these stupid rides, and I did the one where you go like this and go like 50 feet down on, on the slide thing, and I, I am so sore right now, I can't hardly stand it. Every part of my, don't hug me too hard afterwards. But you know what? That's temporary. I'm, I'm gonna be fine, I think, I hope I'll be fine. Then I worked yesterday, you know, and, and a little bit of manual labor, doing some stuff at the schools, and, and I'm sore today, but that's nothing. Listen, it's nothing compared to what my friend Margaret deals with every day of her life. I'll never forget. I walked in the back. This is our church in San Diego. I was on staff there, and I was dealing with something, and I came back through the lobby into the auditorium, and Margaret was in her wheelchair. She was wheelchair-bound, sitting in the back, and they were singing that old chorus, I love you, Lord, I lift my voice. Love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And I'm just watching her. And she's got her hands raised. And she can't hold them steady. She can't even hold them straight. She's got tears streaming down her eyes, or her cheeks, and a drool coming out of her mouth, which is kind of a common condition for her. And I watched, I looked across the room, and I, I, it's like it's, in, it's just, it's tattooed on my brain forever. The image of Margaret sitting there in that chair, barely able to lift her hands, but worshiping Jesus with all her heart. And I wept, it just blew me away. In fact, I, at that moment, here's my thought. I've never seen anything more beautiful in my life. I've never seen a more beautiful woman than Margaret right now. And it blew me away. Afterwards, I grabbed her and I, said, I got down at her level and I knelt down and said, Margaret, how do you do it? How do you, I, 
I just, how do you just continue to impact me and so many people around you? How do you come in this place and you struggle and just getting here was a struggle for you and yet you come and you're here every week and you're worshiping God, how do you do it? And she smiled, her crooked smile. She said, Kurt, every day, every day is another day to show my Jesus how much I love him. Every day is another day to show my Jesus how much I love him. Margaret saw beyond her misery, beyond her struggle, beyond her affliction, beyond her life, and she deeply touched me and many others. I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to challenge you. I want you to be like Margaret. You got to learn to look beyond the circumstances and whatever that you might be chained to right now and see a bigger picture. In fact, you know what? And I think a lot of you would relate to this. I, some of the greatest lessons that I've learned in my life, I've learned in the dark valleys. Now, I really wish that wasn't true. I wish it was always, you know, you know, poppies and flowers and, you know, butterflies and things were great. And that's where I learned the great lessons. But my life, more often than not, the greatest, biggest, most profound lessons I've learned have been in the struggle, in the dark valleys. And in fact, to be honest with you, some of the greatest impact that I've been able to have for the kingdom is to come out of those struggles. See differently. Look beyond. See the bigger picture. Here's the second thing you could do to find joy in the midst of a great st struggle. Number two, don't focus on the problems at hand, but the promise ahead. Don't focus on the problems at hand, but the promise ahead. In other words, don't become so overwhelmed by what's happening that your life um, gets all focused on the temporary rather than the eternal. And that's what we all too often do. We just get lost in what's right there. Let's read on Philippians chapter one, verse 15. Paul says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the guys that don't like me, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Verse 18, I love it. But what does it matter? <laughs> but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. There's that word. I rejoice, yes, I continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Holy Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will return out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then a very familiar verse to some of us, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I go on living in the body, well, that's fruitful labor for me and that's good. Yet, shall I, shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He says, I just wanna go be with Jesus. Verse 24, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. For your sake, I wanna stay. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy and the faith so that, through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. It's an amazing passage, full of great truth. But what I want you to see from this is Paul did not focus on his problems. Besides being imprisoned, again, chained to a guard, which is not fun, Paul is dealing with opposition from people, Christians, who are trying to stir up trouble for him. These are Christian teachers who didn't like Paul, didn't like you know, his, his uh, favor, didn't like what he was doing, probably didn't like his message of grace. 
And they're stirring up trouble for this guy while he's in prison. Now, let me be honest with you. It's easier for most of us, I think, to deal with difficult circumstances than it is to deal with difficult people. If I had to choose between difficult circumstance and a difficult person, I'm gonna choose difficult circumstance every time. Your car, for instance, may break down. And uh, you, you might look like this, and by the way, I don't recommend you ever put your head over a smoking engine. But you know, cars break, dryers break, hot water heaters go belly up, things break. We, in our gut, we just know that the stuff around us is not gonna last forever, and that it breaks, that nothing's made to last forever. We might get frustrated, we might get unhappy, that a moment like that where the car breaks down is terribly frustrating. But we know that's gonna happen. But when it's a person who wounds us, when it's a human who has spoken out against us or done something to make our lives miserable, that's way harder to deal with than just a broken engine. But what I admire about Paul and many of the great leaders throughout history, for instance, Abraham Lincoln, is that they refused to be derailed by haters. They absolutely refused to be derailed by those who hated them. And rather than get overwhelmed by opposition, they stayed the course because they didn't focus on the temporary. They didn't focus on what was right in their face. In fact, Paul did not even let the threat of death, death by a Roman emperor, he didn't let that stop him. Someone once said, it's a great quote, we don't have something worth living for until we have something worth dying for. We don't have something worth living for until we have something worth dying for. And Paul, he knew what he was living for, but he wasn't afraid of death. Now, he didn't have a death, death wish. He wasn't suicidal. He wanted to continue his work, but he had a much bigger perspective, and he saw the promise ahead rather than just the problem in his face, which is why he said in verse 21, again, for me to live is Christ and to die is game. Paul said, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm a winner either way. Whether I die or live, I'm, I win. You know, one of our greatest challenges as humans is to find a way to look beyond that thing that's right there. We're so myopic, we just get so narrow in our vision. It's like blinders are on. All we can see is the problem, the person, the thing, the struggle, whatever it is. We get lost in that. And I'm gonna tell you, if we live on this earth, on this side of eternity, for the things that typically matter to most people around us, popularity, pleasure, power, those things, if we live for that, then we're not gonna find the joy that God wants for us. But Paul modeled a different way. In fact, he said this in Acts 20, 24. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul did not get lost in the stuff that was in his face. He kept his eye on the goal, kept his eye on the task. I don't think there's gonna be any possibility for you to experience true and lasting joy, true and lasting joy, until you can answer yes to two things. The first is, do you know your God-given purpose? Do you know why you're here, what God has for you? Discovering that is, really matters, and it's one of the keys to experiencing joy in your life. The second question we have to answer yes to is, can you face death with confidence rather than fear? Because you know that this life is not the end of the story. You know, people die. It's a horrible reality. I, if you've experienced it recently, you know how painful it is. But guys, I don't, again, I don't want to sound 
cold, but you know there's a 100% mortality rate, right? We're all gonna take our last breath someday. But we can live without fear and we can walk in joy. We can literally live in joy when we can answer the question, listen, um, I know that this life is not the end of the story. Yes, I know I have secured eternal life. There's freedom. And coming to a place where you see your God-given purpose. And there's freedom that comes when you have nothing to fear, not even death itself, when you can see beyond the temporary and see the eternal, the promise of eternal life. By the way, if you're still wondering if it's truly possible for good to come out of suffering, then I wanna encourage you to look at the cross of Jesus. Just a moment, we're gonna take communion together. And I wanna encourage you today to remember what Jesus did for you. But when we talk about struggle, there's no greater struggle than to be hung on a cross. Can you find joy in the midst of struggle? Look at the cross, look at what Jesus did. If you wanna see another amazing example of looking beyond your circumstances to see the bigger picture, just look at Jesus on the cross. If you wanna know what it means to not focus on the problems at hand but the promise ahead, then look at Jesus on the cross. Hebrews 12, two, the writer says, stay focused on Jesus. He endured the cross and ignored the shame of that death. How? Because he focused on the joy that was set before him. He focused on eternal life. He focused on being with the Father, the joy of being seated beside God on the throne. We need to see beyond the problems at hand and see the promise ahead. One last story, and uh, we're gonna take communion together, finish with one last song. About the end of January, I was down in Southern California. I was meeting with uh, Saddleback and some pastors down there. And, uh, one of the things I love to do is go to the beach. I love to watch sunset. Now, I love Spokane. Uh, God willing, I'm gonna take my last breath in this city. I, I, I literally do. I love our, our city. I love everything about it. But I miss the ocean. And I love the ocean. I grew up around the ocean. I was a surfer. I just love going to the ocean. I love watching the sunsets. I'm kind of hoping, well, I really can't say that, that someday there's an earthquake and it, guys, we become oceanfront. But that would be horrible. I don't really mean that. <laughs> But one of the most you know, fun things to do, I just love is going to the beach and watching the sunset. So I'm down there, and some free time in the evening, grab my real Ford Focus rental car, which is really a powerful vehicle, not so much. And I got in that, drove down to San Clemente, and I was sitting there uh, in the parking lot. It was a little cool outside. It was in January for California. It was still cool. And I'm watching the sun going down. It was awesome. I'm like, wow, this is gonna be a beautiful sunset. And at that very moment, this massively, unbelievably big RV pulled right in front of me. And I thought, whoop. And I, I tell you, at that moment, I had four options, I had four things I could have done. The, I could have sat there and griped. The nerve of that guy, who does he think he is taking up my view? Could have griped about it. And don't a lot of us do that when we get into circumstances? We just gripe. Other thing I could have done was I could have conceded defeat. Oh, well, guess I didn't deserve the sunset anyhow. Could have been Eeyore, you know, oh well, and just sit there in misery. Third thing I could have done was I could have, I could have been jealous. I could have gotten really envious. Man, I wish I had an RV like that. Wouldn't be nice to watch the sunset of my lazy boy. You know, I could have been envious and jealous of the guy. Or the fourth thing I could have done, which is what I did do, is I can move. I could, listen, change my view, change my perspective. I did, and here's the picture I took. I took this picture. Isn't that awesome? That's San Clemente Pier right there. Yes, it's available for uh, 20 bucks on curb movement. No, no. No, I'll give that to you. That's the, I moved and that's the picture I took. I, that's, that's me, I took that. 
And here's, here's how I got that. I moved. I moved. Some of you are in a struggle. And I care. I pray for you. I ache with you. I have deep concern and compassion for you. And I wish I could fix your struggle, fix your problem. I wish I could just make it all better and that you would have happy circumstances. I really do. Wouldn't that be awesome if I just had the power to make that possible? But here's what I know. The best thing you can do is the lesson I keep learning again and again is we just need to change. We need to move our perspective and look differently at the thing that's happening to us and see how God might be able to use that very painful experience to advance his work, his kingdom, in me and through me. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I am um, just, even as I spoke this morning, I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing so many that I know their story, I know their pain. And I do ache for them, Lord. And I know the Bible says you're close to the brokenhearted. And yet, Lord, I know that on this side of eternity, struggle, hardship, difficulty, in many ways is unavoidable. It's just, it's gonna happen. And so I pray, Lord, I, I really do, I pray today for my friends, for these dear people that I love. I pray, God, that you'd help them to change their, their view, their perspective, that they would look to you, that they would fix their eyes on you, that they would look beyond the thing that's right in their face, that they would understand that, God, you have a purpose for them and you can use anything, anything, and any life that's surrendered to you that we would come to you, God, in our brokenness and our pain and our agony, and that we would just surrender our lives to you and say, God, work in me and work through me. God, work in me and work through me. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as Christ follower. I said earlier that one of the ways that we find joy is being able to answer yes to the question, yes, I know I have eternal life. Yes, I'm not afraid of death because I know, I know that this life is not the end of the story. And if you can't say that yet, you've not experienced that reality yet, you've not made the decision to become a Christ follower yet, to surrender your life to him, to embrace the free gift. I know, it's, you know well, don't, don't I have to do some stuff? Don't I have to be better? I clean my life up. I, I'll just keep working at being better. No, that's not the secret. That's not the key. The key is we come in our brokenness and say, God, I need you. I need a savior. Thanks for sending Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need grace. And if that's you and you're here today, you are ready to make that decision. I'm gonna pray this very short prayer. And we say this all the time. It's my prayer, but would you make it yours? Would you make my words your words right now if this is what you want? Father, thanks for sending Jesus for me. Thanks for offering me eternal life as a gift. Thank you for your mercy your grace, your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. And right now, I give my life to you. I surrender. I fought you for a long time. But right here, right now, I say yes. Yes, I want you. Yes, I need you. Yes, I give my life to you. Now, if that's you, and that's your desire. Just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's what I want. The Bible says in that moment you say yes to him, you become his kid. You're his child forever. 
They're on a different path now to eternal life. And it may not change the circumstance you're in right now. You may still leave here today and wake up tomorrow with the same struggle. But now you've got someone next to you, with you. And now you've got an eternal hope. You've got a different perspective, recognizing that this life is just temporary. And that you're not alone anymore. Lord, seal that truth in people's hearts. Remind them of your goodness and your power to work in us and through us for your goodness. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with um, a very important time. I encourage you not to leave. We, you know, it's like 11.53. We're not even noon yet. Uh, we're going to take communion. And on the tables, there's a couple up front, I think five or six along the back. In fact, against the far wall, on my right, your left, there's a smaller table. It's got gluten-free communion on it. So we try to make this available for all of you. There's two different kinds. There's cups that are double stacked. There's a cracker below and the grape juice above or the, the sealed kind, you just peel it back and the wafer's there and the juice is below. If you're a guest, feel free to partake with us. This is an open table. This is for Christ followers. And here's what I want to encourage you to do though. I want you to remember. Remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Remember that Jesus hung on a cross, but that was not the end of the story. Remember he suffered, but his suffering gave us life, gave us freedom, gave us forgiveness. Remember him. We're all gonna sing one song. It's a powerful song, I love this song. But as we worship, I encourage you to move the communion uh, throughout the room, take that, uh, and then we'll come back and wrap it up together. What good could come out of struggle? Look at the cross, look at Jesus. Look to him. I wanna encourage you, if you uh, need prayer today, prayer team would be down front. If you miss the bucket with prayer requests or you're offering the black boxes in the wall or there, you can drop it off as you leave. Pray for the staff this week. Got busy uh, Thursday, Friday with the leadership summit here. I do encourage you to stop by the WANA table and find out about uh, how to get your kids involved or to be part of changing life, become a leader in Awana. Next Sunday, I got something very special for you guys. I know it's the middle of summer, but we're talking about the joy of unity. We'll be in Philippians chapter two next week. I want to take a sneak peek at that. But when we get together next Sunday, I'm going to talk about where unity can bring joy and share a little bit about that. And then we're going to have a panel discussion with two friends of mine. One is a guy's named Rodney McCauley. He's an African-American Christian and a friend of mine. He has actually spoke here many years ago. He's going to be on the panel. Another friend of mine, John Forbes, will be with us. And John is a man who has, he's HIV positive uh, for years, was an alcoholic, a drug addict, uh, active in homosexual lifestyle, and now he's walking with Jesus. We're going to talk about two issues that are very polarizing in our culture and unfortunately even in the church. The issue of ethnic tension and sexuality, and homosexuality. So we'll be talking about the joy of unity next week. I encourage you to make it back if you can. But here's my prayer for you. Go this week. In the midst of whatever you face, whatever struggle you might have now or tomorrow, go knowing that you're not alone and that God can bring good out of that. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today. See you next week.